this is a show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve him and their neighbor, for whom the words of the creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is a show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. Well, this is it. We are in the home stretch of the Easter season. Uh, alleluia, alleluia. And we uh, either have just now or are just about to celebrate the ascension of the Lord. Uh, this is one of those times where the show kind of falls between liturgical celebration. Sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. Um, the ascension always occurs on a Thursday because Jesus ascended into heaven 40 days after Easter. For 40 days, he was seen by his apostles. He appeared to them, uh, to the disciples, um, and then 40 days after he ascended into heaven, 10 days later is the Feast of Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit comes upon the church. But here's the deal. Uh, The bishops have transferred the observance in most dioceses in the U.S., not all, uh, have transferred the observance of the ascension to the Sunday. And the reason for that is uh, a little complicated, but the short answer is this. Uh, The Ascension is a big deal. It's a big feast. Um, It's where we get the Great Commission, where Christ looked at his his disciples and his apostles and and made them—actually looked at the disciples and made them into the apostles. This is the sending by which we get uh, the the word apostle, which means sent one. Uh, Here in Matthew 28, we have it in other Gospels as well. Uh, The eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had ordered them. And when they saw him, they worshipped, but they doubted. Then Jesus approached and said to them, and you've heard this before, All power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. So here, this is the moment that the disciples become something more. They become missionary disciples, also known as apostles. And so this this is a, a big deal. As such, this feast is a holy day of obligation. But the bishops are uh, are careful that they don't pile on burdens that are too much to be observed. And so, for the most part, we only have a few holy days of obligation that fall outside of the typical Sunday obligation for this reason. Um, The church doesn't want to, to demand something or require something or say that something is obligatory if it is burdensome. At the same time, we ought to, with joy, Every opportunity we get, go and celebrate as the community of God. Uh, Celebrate in the sacraments, celebrate in prayer, celebrate in community. Um, But the bishops are very careful not to require it. So in many dioceses in the U.S., uh, Ascension is moved to this Sunday. But whether you have already celebrated the Ascension or whether you are still looking forward to it to celebrate it tomorrow— Uh, This is an important day for us to focus on this great commission where Jesus comes to us who have been in relationship with uh, with him, uh, who have followed after him, who have learned from him, and says, now you go and do likewise. Go and make disciples yourself. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. There's a couple of, uh, of thoughts here. The first is that we would know all the things that he has commanded. So it's incumbent upon us as disciples to be well-formed ourselves in order for us to then go and share that with others. Um, the other thing is that no one is exempt from this. All of uh, the, the disciples were gathered together uh, at this moment of ascension. As Jesus ascends into heaven by his own power, uh, is taken from their sight, and then the angels come and say, well, what are you doing looking at the sky? Um, the, he'll come, he'll return the same way he left you, but basically, in my own little paraphrase of it, he looks at them and the, the, uh, the angels look at the disciples and say, he just gave you a mission. He just gave you instructions. Um, staring at the sky is going to do nothing to bring that about. So here we have it. The mission has been given. They followed Jesus for three years. They watched him be crucified. They are witnesses of the resurrection. And then he gives them this promise. He gives them this commission, and he gives them this promise. First is the call. Uh, Go into all the world and make disciples. But then he also says to them, stay in Jerusalem and wait for the promised gift. And this gift is the gift of the Holy Spirit, which comes at Pentecost, empowers them with all the life of God, and gives them all the grace that they need to then go out and fulfill that call. And so we too, as we are striving to be missionary disciples, we need to look at this progression because it's important for us. The first is that we need to be in relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not enough to know all the details. We have to know Christ. So this means uh, for us, being invested in prayer, having a specific and personal connection with Jesus. Secondly, it means following after the things that he has taught, right? Uh, If we're going to fulfill that mission of teaching them to observe all that I've commanded, we have to know the things that he's commanded. So we're in relationship with him. We are following after the things that he said. We recognize his authority, we listen to his call, and then we wait. And that can be the hardest thing to do. We wait for the Holy Spirit to come and infuse us with the graces we need. And we don't just kind of take off on our own trying to check off all the boxes and manage the call of God on our own, because we can make uh, the, the mission of God into this really super efficient checklist that we Uh, that we kind of project manage. And this, while it may see some effectiveness, is going to be effective only on the level of our own humanity and is not going to have the fruitfulness of his divinity. So we're in relationship. We listen to the things he's commanded. We listen to the instructions and the call which is given to us And then we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to go out. So here we are. We're in that progression. We're moving towards Pentecost. And we have to realize that this is not just something we remember that happened a long time ago, but it's something that we have to now live ourselves into today. We're living through our own experience of the resurrection of the Great Commission and of Pentecost 
knowing that he has called us today in a very specific and personal way to be missionary disciples ourselves. So this is what we're going to talk about today, and we're going to talk. The, the Pope Francis has given us the perfect opportunity uh, to really delve into this topic because just this week, Pope Francis has given us this motu proprio, a brand new apostolic letter called Antiquum Ministerium, which institutes the ministry of the catechist. Maybe your picture of catechist is when the uh, the director of religious education stands up panicked in front of your your church and says, we need someone to come and teach the kids. And there's this sense of there's always this this rotating door or need for someone to to take a season and go and teach. And and yet this isn't the way that it's supposed to be. Here's a picture that Pope Francis is giving us of a charism lived out fully by a person um, taking on the ministry of catechist, something that seems and that he expresses in this letter uh, is something that goes on and on. And this is like the the DRE's dream, that people would begin living out this charism and that they would have to really, you know, train and, and maybe even sometimes turn down because they have too many people for a specific role, uh, a person for a season, right? So to explore this, to talk a little bit more about this, we're going to be talking with uh, Andrew Cassad, who is the steward for Christian Initiation and Matrimony at St. Michael Parish in Olympia, Washington. Andrew, thanks for joining us again today. Thanks, Dale. Thanks for the invitation to be with you. You know, um, Olympia has a, a very special place in my heart. A lack of planning in the city of Olympia, Washington, uh, completely changed the trajectory of my life. I don't know if you know this story. Um, we were so. we were coming out to uh, to Washington for my father in law's uh, internment, and we left Fourth of July weekend. We left Texas. It was a 117 degrees, and uh, we packed for the summer because we were coming out to the coast in uh, in the summer, Fourth of July. It's you know it's hot, and it was not. It was like. 50s, 60s, uh, and we were not prepared. We we did not have the clothes, so we were driving up from um, from Portland, where my brother-in-law lives, up to Whidbey Island, which is just a beautiful place for those who haven't been there. And we didn't have the clothes, so we stopped at the first mall we could find, which was in Olympia, Washington. And we went in, and we uh, we went to the Old Navy there, and and bought some long sleeve shirts for everybody. Well, because of how the the freeways are set up, the highways are set up, um, Waze decided the fastest way for us to get to Whidbey Island from the mall was to go up 101 instead of I-5. Wow. <laughs> and uh, 101, if you don't know, is right smack dab through this long stretch of uh, Olympic National Park um, right on the water. And that was the moment that we decided we were moving to Washington state, which I don't think would have happened if we had gone up I five, uh, because it's just not the same drive. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I owe a lot to Olympia, Washington. Awesome. <laughs> That's a great story. So, uh, let's, let's talk about this ministry of catechesis. You and I are both part of a, a online forum talking about Sherry Waddell's, uh, forming intentional disciples and and the implications and the applications uh, that that we take as evangelists, as catechists, as uh, formators 
um, to to make a difference in our in our faith and in our world. And this letter just kind of hits at the heart of everything. So first, before we get into what I thought about it, I want to. What were your initial impressions as you read through this? Yeah, it's a you know it's a great um, and short read. Uh, Pope Francis is not exactly known for issuing short statements, uh, so it's nice to have one that we could read at one sitting. Um, and I think you know Pope Francis has given us many documents that address catechesis. I think about uh, Joy of the Gospel, Evangelii Gaudium. It's just this beautiful text. Uh, to, to lead us into um, what all of the different dimensions of pastoral and Christian discipleship life should look like for the spreading of the gospel. He has some sections within Joy of the Gospel that specifically talk about charismatic and mystagogical catechesis and why that's important. And so to read in the motu proprio for the institution of the catechist, being one that has these, um, these characteristics, I think is really important. You know, there's this uh, one paragraph near the end of um, numbered paragraph six that really jumped out to me. The role played by catechists is one specific form of service among others within the Christian community. Catechists are called first to be expert in the pastoral service of transmitting the faith as it develops through its different stages, from the initial proclamation of the charisma to the instruction that presents our new life in Christ and prepares for the sacraments of Christian initiation, and then to the ongoing formation that can allow each person to give an accounting of the hope within them. Mm-hmm. So there, I think, is that, you know, that beautiful um, movement that you're you know, speaking about, that those of us who are familiar with uh, forming intentional disciples from Sherry Waddell, you know, know right? We, we've kind of trained our eyes, trained our ears to be attentive to these different thresholds of conversion. Uh, for those who are familiar with the catechumenate um, given to us now in the RCIA, you hear that, right? Oh, there's the period of pre-catechumenate and evangelization. Oh, there's that period of catechumenate and apprenticeship in the Catholic way of life. Oh, there's that period of mystagogy, of deepening that relationship, and particularly being called into mission to share the good news. Um, so just that kind of simple and beautiful way that Pope Francis has articulated that a catechist is one who has a personal charism, one given to him or to her for the building up of the church to be really good at those things. And let's talk just for a moment, because this is foundational, about charisms. <clears throat> because charisms are something that you receive from the Holy Spirit, people say, "Well, I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not good enough. I don't, I don't have the the training. I don't have, you know, I, I don't know that I could do that that catechist thing at church." Well, the whole point of a charism is that you are, um, you are gifted by the Holy Spirit, the ability to do something. Now, yes, you should hone it and you should train it and you should grow in it, but the uh, the ability to do it well is not something that we generate ourselves. It's given by the Holy Spirit at our confirmation. Uh, and and infused and developed as we grow in our relationship with the Holy Spirit and with God. Yeah, I think that's you know that's so essential. You know that there are um, gifts that are given to particular persons by virtue of their office. So, for example, you know if we look to the Catechism, we see that the you know the office of the bishop is to teach, 
is to sanctify and to govern. And so every bishop is the principal catechist, the principal teacher Mm -hmm. of his diocese. And he holds that by virtue of that apostolic office that he holds. But there's others that have um, this gift of teaching, and they may not even recognize it. I, I don't know about your experience, but my experience when helping people to discern their spiritual gifts is that it is almost like, oh yeah, that's really that comes so easy to me. I don't, I, mm-hmm. I, I didn't even really recognize that as a gift within me. Or others will say like, yeah, I, I see you're really good at doing this thing, and like you seem to do it like excellently and effortlessly. Um, and I think that's kind of a good indication that one has been given this gift. And of course, within the Christian context, the reason that one is given a gift is exactly as you said, is not to puff oneself up but to build up the body of Christ. Um, so as we become aware of those gifts, why does she have that gift? Why do I have that gift? It is, well, you have that. She has that in order that the body of Christ can grow. Uh, and so here Pope Francis is really kind of articulating, let's recognize those who have this gift. Let's train them and hone them and test them. Um, make sure that these are the gifts for the building up of the church. And let's certify them to some extent, right? Let's let's call them out um, so that they can be used for the building up of the church in the particular diocese. Well, and and to that point, the, the, the point of the gifts being given for the sake of the body, um, the, the scripture says that the Holy Spirit gives gifts as the body has needs. So there might be a time that you are given a gift that you don't feel like you have because the church needs it. Right, so you you can step into that and be assured of the Holy Spirit coming alongside you. Absolutely. So, um, one of the things that I've I've heard said is that oh well the you know look here the the Holy Father is instituting a new ministry of catechist, and he starts at the very beginning saying no the ministry of the catechists in the church is an ancient one, right? This goes all the way back to the beginning. It has its roots in Scripture. Um, we're just simply recognizing it today in a different way. And indeed, like in, in other parts of the world, uh, catechist is a already a pretty well-fleshed-out role um, in, in this sense, in the sense of, oh, well, this is not the person who teaches for a little while, but this is a person who takes on a role and runs with it for uh, for kind of an idea using it as an identifier of, I am a catechist, and this is kind of what I do. Um, that in a way that we don't really have here at the moment in the United States. Yeah, I think, you know, for, for those of us who are mostly familiar with North American or even to some extent a European experience of parish life, we tend to see things associated with their role, right? So, you know, you introduced me as, you know, steward for Christian initiation and matrimony. So these days I'm, you know, leading folks through the the RCIA and I'm working with folks who are preparing to be married in the church. Both of those, to some extent, are ministries of accompaniment and ministries of include ministries of catechesis. But in uh, certain parts of Latin America, particularly in the kind of Andino areas of Latin America, there's this experience of catechists. And, you know, it, w- it wouldn't necessarily be uncommon to run into someone who in, you know, the parish who would say, soy catequista. Um, that's what she's trained to do. That's what her role is in the parish. She might serve different spaces within the life of the parish, but that's her particular gift and her particular uh, work. There's even a couple of places in a few of our ritual texts 
that say that in the absence of a priest or of a deacon, that a bishop can in, you know, have a catechist uh, serve in a particular role, for example, uh, to, to witness a wedding, um, you know, to witness a marriage in an extraordinary uh, circumstance. Those latter parts are not things that we have you know, experience with um, in North America. You know, we talk about, rightly, the need for an increased number of priests to serve the needs of Catholics in North America. But by and large, you know, we're really blessed that we can hop to a church and find a priest right. nearby us, um, which isn't necessarily the case in some parts of the world. So in this, you know, in this motu proprio, um, Pope Francis talks a lot about the kind of missionary necessity for a catechist and almost kind of seeing um, the catechist as one who is stable, as you've pointed out, um, and continues on that work that a priest as a missionary may have implanted but the catechist continues to abide within that community in a way that maybe the missionary priest needs to move on to another community uh, to, to celebrate the rites or to um, you know, set up the church in a, in a given environment. You know, uh, recently we we saw that Pope Francis uh, expanded the roles of, of acolyte and lector. Um, and those specific rites were considered minor orders previously, Right, that someone would uh, be ordained to these minor orders before they would enter into holy orders. Uh, this this time with catechist, it's a little bit different because, as I understand, it was not a minor order, uh, and he he goes to great lengths and great pains to to differentiate that this is a secular ministry, uh, meaning that it does not belong to um, to the orders or to the religious. This is a secular capacity, and we have to, in this, to avoid clericalism of trying to somehow clericalize the lay. Can you maybe expound on that a little bit for us? Yeah. Um, the, a few years ago, I had a great opportunity to attend a workshop on the treasures of the sacred Paschal Triduum uh, at Mundelein Seminary. And in the uh, chapel there at Mundelein, uh, that there's the stairs that are ascending up into the sanctuary. And on the kind of front of each of the stairs are the names of each of the minor orders uh, that, that a man would participate in before being ordained a priest in the pre-Vatican II approach to um, preparation for and celebration of the rites of ordination. And so there's kind of just laid out literally stair steppers, you know, as you're uh, moving up with that. Of course, Paul VI, um, you know, that last century said, well, these aren't necessarily suborders. These are ministries. We need them in the life of the church. And they are ministries that are exercised by those who are going to be ordained, but they're maybe not exclusive to those who are going to be ordained. Um, and so these ministries of, say, a instituted acolyte or an instituted lector um, have been, you know, on the books, as it were, uh, since the 1970s. Again, in the United States, they're not something we've run into a whole lot other than kind of de facto as suborders um, for a number of reasons. And I think that, that you know, through Pope Francis's initiatives uh, last year may, may change. Um, that's something that, you know, is going to depend on each bishop's conference as to where, uh, where that's going to go. But for those of us in North America who are used to, you know, readers and communion ministers and sacristans um, assisting in the liturgy in a lot of different ways, we may wonder, well, 
really then what's the difference between an acolyte and the sacristan? What's the difference between a reader and a lector? And I think something you hit on earlier with the catechist is its stability mm-hmm. and its relationship to the bishop. You know, I serve as a lector at my home parish, but if I was to show up at your parish and be like, okay, I'm reading today, um, <laughs> everyone would be like, no, you're not. And yeah. rightly so. Um, but someone who's an instituted uh, reader is someone who serves at the behest of the bishop to mm-hmm. proclaim the word. Um, someone who's a sacristan knows the sacristy of the parish where they serve, and they've been deputed by their local pastor to serve in that capacity. They don't just show up at the cathedral and be like, hi, I'm sacristan today. Uh, Karina right. and say, no, no, you're not. Um, so there's a sense in which these instituted ministries have a greater universality because they are under the work of the bishop and they go, as you said, where the church has need. The bishop can say they need a sacristan here who can teach them, who can guide them in doing the liturgy. So we're going to send you as an acolyte to this community um, for this period of time. And that's something that's different than our experience. Here, as we look at the ministry of catechists, I think that being tied to the bishop, that being stable um, and being sent to where one is needed um, is going to hold true with that. This ministry, I suspect, won't be those seen in the church. You know, it won't be a liturgical or in templo um, ministry. This is going to be one that is going to be in the building up of the community and less about um, guiding worship, less about um serving in a liturgical capacity. Yeah. And this highlights something that that's, I think, important. Um, when I first came into the church, I coming from a Protestant background, I had this understanding of local church, right? This is my local church. It's where I go. It's where I'm connected. It's where I'm a member. Um, and as I was coming into the Catholic church and I was interviewing for a diocesan position, because as one does, right, when you're first coming into the church, um, <laughs> Uh, the, the I had this great conversation with with Bishop Slattery, and he looked at me and said, "Oh no, no, the the local church is the diocese, and then there are parishes of it. Like you, when you are a member of your parish, you the local church you belong to is your diocese. And so, as you're talking about this ministry of of catechist and acolyte and everything else, uh, you are a minister of your local church in air quotes, being that of the diocese." To, to serve as the church, the diocese has need. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's that, that, that kind of centered on um, the role of the bishop as the chief liturgist, as the chief catechist, the chief shepherd um, of our local church. We're talking today with Andrew Gassad, who's the steward for Christian initiation and matrimony at St. Michael Parish in Olympia, Washington, talking about this new motu proprio antico ministerium instituting the ministry of catechists. Join this conversation over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. Post your favorite quote from the document. Tell me a story about a time that you were a catechist be a part of that conversation, but stay tuned because there's more to this conversation just after the break. You're listening to Outside the Walls with T.L. Putnam.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L., and today we are talking about the uh, the new, well, not the old, the ancient ministry of catechists, which has recently been created as an instituted ministry within the church. Uh, we're exploring this with Andrew Cassad, who's the steward for Christian Initiation and Matrimony at St. Michael Parish in Olympia, Washington. And Andrew, I have to say, of all of the different titles uh, in my 20 years of ministry in both Protestant and Catholic place, uh, places, churches, um, St. Michael's in Olympia has really, I think, the best titles for for their staff. Uh, not director, not minister of, no, 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 steward. Steward of Christian Initiation and Matrimony. It's, uh, I think, one, it's very evocative, but two, I think it puts you in the right mindset of what we do as servants of the church. Amen. Yeah, Father Jim Lee has been our pastor there for uh, to 20 years, and um, you know that's that's not extremely common in um, many Catholic parishes. And he has a deep heart for stewardship in the sense that as pastor, he has a responsibility to steward the souls, not only of those who are part of the parish in, in the kind of narrowest sense, but of all the souls of Thurston County. Um, and that we have a um, responsibility as particular lay ministers who, who serve at his direction um, to extend that stewardship in particular domains. Now, that, that's a really interesting point because um, this is something that was also very different for me coming from the Protestant world into the Catholic world. Uh, there was this mindset of, well, I, as, as a minister of the church, as whatever my role is, I am serving the people who are members of, of my church. And when I, again, this conversation with, with Bishop Slattery, uh, he first who was the first one that brought this to my mind of no I'm the bishop of the diocese and that's everybody who lives here whether they're catholic or not and I'm responsible for them and that's just a whole different way and man what what would that do for us as as catholics as parishioners uh exercising our our various charisms that have been given to us by the holy spirit if we recognize that we're not in it even just for the people sitting next to us in the pew or who go to that other service later in the day but that i am exercising the ministry for my whole community and that my that my attention and my um uh my efforts have to be directed toward not just the person who sits next to me in the pew, but the person who lives down the street from me who goes to that other church that's not Catholic, that I have to minister this faithfully everywhere I go. Yeah, and I think that's something, you know, we see coming through in Pope Francis's motu proprio is this missionary dimension of a catechist, right? A catechist um, isn't a person who, you know, sits, sits on, you know, his seat in one location and, you know, other people arrive and he dispenses some information and then they go their way. Um, you know, <laughs> this is a catechist who, um, you know, you can almost kind of, you know, see her on her feet out in, you know, the village um, going around and, checking in on people, bringing them the good news, um, you know, being out and amongst uh, the, the community. When we, you know, think about the church universal, um, sure, Pope Francis is, you know, the, the head of the worldwide church and his brothers, the bishops, have those territorial responsibilities. So, you know, that, that uh, territory of our own archdiocese, 
that, that covers from you know, the Canadian border to the Oregon border, from the ridge of the Cascades to the Pacific. Um, every soul within that is under the care of our archbishop, um, whether they know the church, whether they have a relationship with Jesus Christ, um, we have a responsibility through him uh, to, to announce the good news to those folks and to bring them into that relationship. Now, one of the things that, as we talk about the stable ministry that may diverge from our, our lived experience, uh, is we often treat the things at, at church, the ministries that we volunteer at, uh, as kind of extracurricular, that thing that we're going to do on the side if we have time this this year. Um, and with the ministry of the catechist, as you said earlier, we, we identify ourselves by our role and, and typically by the role that we spend most of our time and energy into, right? So uh, a person who works over in this field over here and then volunteers at the church, they're going to typically be known by their field and not by their volunteerism. Um, here is an invitation uh, for missionary disciples, for those of us who have uh, who are following after Christ, who have been sacramentalized, who now are living out our charism. It's the invitation to identify by our role for the church and not by our daily life role that takes up most of our time. Um, this is kind of a fundamental shift for us who have been largely uh, bathed in this volunteerism culture. And it's going to take some, I think, some effort and energy to shift that mindset. As you look at this, what are some things that you have found effective on the individual level to say, okay, I'm, I'm entering into a new way of, of living and being and thinking about ministry? Yeah, I think a, an important analog that I have found um, is if, you know, you talk to anybody who lives and works and is part of a monastic community, they're going to tell you that what their identity is, is monk. They might be a teacher. They might be a gardener. They might be both. Um, they might, you know, have come in and done a particular role within the community for a number of years and then been asked by the community to go um, get some additional schooling and education to move to a different area. But their identity as monk remained stable. Um, and I think that that's something that uh, we're going to see or we ought to expect to see flowing out from this kind of stable ministry of a catechist that you might have at one moment um, someone who has this charism, this gift of being a catechist serving in youth ministry. And then as need arises, they're being asked to be formed in the catechesis of the Good Shepherd and going deep into that, you know, foot formation that frankly takes a long time. And it's, it's a lot of, you know, investment um, you know, to, to do that, to then go into minister among, you know, some of the younger children. That same person might then be, you know, invited to go and do some specific training related to the catechumenate and to assist in establishing and building catechumenal processes um, in various parishes throughout a diocese. So the particular work that they're doing will probably change the same way that that particular work that a monk is doing to uphold his or her community changes. But that stable identity of monk or that stable identity of catechist, um, those are those pieces that I think Pope Francis is calling us here to recognize as outpourings of the gifts of the Holy Spirit 
and to name them, to institute them. Now, as you're, as you're giving us this explanation, you're using the terms that a lot of us are familiar with of these specific parish ministries. Uh, but as you look historically at, at these catechists who are well-known to history, uh, like um, Black Elk, uh, who was a catechist of, of the, his native people, Bishop Blanchett here in the Pacific Northwest introduced the the um, the Catholic Ladder, which was a series of of uh, pictograms put onto a long piece of paper that he used uh, to catechize the Native Americans here in the Seattle area. Mm-hmm. And just recently on on social media, you had mentioned uh, a catechist as well uh, that is on on track to be the first canonized saint of Puerto Rico, uh, Carlos Manuel Rodriguez. Yeah, and I think one of the things we see in the examples of many of these lay catechists is that they saw their work of sharing and spreading the gospel not as limited to a particular parish, right? Mm-hmm. Their um, their work was to go out into the field, to go out into the world, and to teach the faith to those who might not have had any particular awareness of the faith um, to begin with, in the case of Black Elk, or in the case of someone like Carlos Manu- uh, Carlos Rodriguez, uh, to, to go to communities that were Catholic, but to help them dive deep into new things. Um, Carlos uh, Rodriguez was most well known for kind of establishing liturgy study circles uh, in the years running up towards the Second Vatican Council. Uh, in parishes and universities around Puerto Rico um, and kind of doing these study groups to explore what were these new things of the sacred Paschal Triduum that were being restored? What was this new work around um, the the catechumenate uh, that that was being unfolded and being gifted to the church? Mm -hmm. And if uh, we, we often separate evangelization and catechesis, uh, but one of the things that we see in this modo proprio is that uh, Pope Francis puts within the ministry of the cat, the, the catechist, uh, the proclamation of the kerygma, which is that that first pronouncement of the gospel to a people who have not heard it before. So we're, I mean, th- that puts this truly squarely right in the middle of missionary territory, right in the middle of evangelization, and then growing out of that. Um, in what ways does this maybe expand our understanding of what catechist is? Yeah, I think for, for many of us, you know, growing up in the church, maybe our experience of a catechist was um, the person who taught us church school things Mm -hmm. once we were already part of the life of the church. Um, And so their domain or sphere of influence was um, the classroom side of the parish domain, right? Of the parish church domain. So like like this, the, the, that was kind of my experience growing up. You know, the, the, the folks who taught me Wednesday uh, catechism, those were our catechists per se. But Pope Francis has been offering us this different vision of catechesis throughout his pontificate. You know, again, jumping back to uh, joy of the gospel, he, he writes in the middle of Joy of the Gospel about that charismatic or proclamation of the good news and mystagogical catechesis. And he you know, writes here that education and catechesis are at the service of growth in the life in the spirit. 
For in catechesis, we have rediscovered the fundamental role of the first announcement or the charisma, which needs to be the center of all evangelizing activity and all efforts at church renewal. On the lips of the catechist, the first proclamation must ring out over and over. Jesus Christ loves you. He gave his life to save you. And now he is living at your side every day to enlighten, strengthen, and free you. This first proclamation, Pope Francis says, is called first, not because it exists at the beginning and then can be forgotten or replaced by other more important things. It's first in a qualitative sense, because it is the principal proclamation, the one which we must hear again and again in different ways, and one which, must, which we must announce one way or another throughout the entire process of catechesis at every level and every moment. We need not think of catechesis as the kerygma giving way to supposedly more solid formation, for nothing is more solid, profound, secure, meaningful, and wisdom-filled than that initial proclamation. All Christian formation consists of entering more deeply into the kerygma, which is reflected in and constantly illumines this work of catechesis. Yeah. So I think Pope Francis has had this, uh, you know, missionary impulse at the heart of all of our pastoral activity. And here through the ministry of the catechist, he's drawing that out and saying, my catechists, those catechists who are formed in this way, they are going to be missionaries in those domains that they operate in. Yeah. Last thing here. Um, in the little bit of time we have left, uh, you our steward uh, for for RCIA for the catechumenate. Uh, I know one of the things that you deal with all the time is finding people to assist in that process. So, uh, put on that that uh, parish staff uh, hat and give us your best impassioned plea for people who think, "Oh, I can't do that." That's that that's com- that's for other people who are better trained or better formed than me. Uh, what would you say to the person who? is on the fence or maybe not even doesn't even have a foot on the fence yet. and doesn't feel like they can enter into this ministry to invite them and to call them into this new ministry of catechist. Yeah. Great, great question. Um, a number of years ago, I was at a convocation of the North American forum on the catechumenates and the North American forum had as kind of its mission statement, the full implementation of the RCIA. And uh, I remember being in this talk and, you know, people kind of talking about, well, how will we know that we have fully implemented the RCIA? Um, And there were half a dozen erudite answers given, none of which do I remember. Um, And there was one woman that stood up near the back and she said, you know, I'll know that my parish has fully implemented the RCIA when every parishioner has served as a sponsor for someone that they invited to be part of the Catholic Church. Hmm. And I don't know if she intended it, but it was just sort of like, yeah, that's a mic drop moment. Um, you know, that's what Pope Francis is calling us to in this art of accompaniment, right? Of um, every disciple having this experience of inviting another person into a relationship with Jesus Christ and accompanying them. That's life changing for a person to do that invitation and to accompany them. 
And so for me, the entry point to get people involved in the catechumenal ministry uh, at any parish is to invite people to serve as sponsors. Um, and often when I, you know, call people up and say, hey, you know, Susie, I'd love for you to you know, serve as a sponsor to this young woman who is interested in entering the church. You know, the first response is like, oh, no, no, I, I, I don't know enough. I couldn't be a teacher. I don't have a, you know, you know, I, I, I can't be professor of church things. Um, and I always try to assure them, you know, Susie, really what I'm asking you to do is just do all the things you're currently doing and invite this other person to come along with you. And just invite them to come alongside with you when you go to mass, when you're going to young adult functions, um, just invite them to share in that life. Well, I'm not sure I have time to do, you know, all these additional other things. Well, Susie, there's really not all these additional other things. You know, you're going to have some conversations with, with this person as you're, as you're growing, you know, as she's growing in her faith. And I know necessarily that that's going to lead to the sponsor asking questions, mm -hmm. seeking, as Pope Francis said, to know how to better articulate the reason for her own hope in being a Catholic Christian. Um, and that's where that deepening of faith comes. And that's where that excitement in having a deepened faith leads one to seek formation and maybe to go on to be a catechist. Um, but I kind of have as the hope that every parishioner in every parish would be a sponsor for someone that they've invited to the church and that they've walked with and accompanied in this journey of Christian initiation. We've been talking today with Andrew Gassad, steward for Christian Initiation and Matrimony at St. Michael Parish in Olympia, Washington. Andrew, thanks for being with us. Thanks, TL. If you missed any part of that conversation, maybe you want to go back and listen to it again or share it with your friends on social media. Have no fear. All of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. There you can scroll through all of the archives, find one of the other episodes that we've had Andrew Kassad on the show for. Um, or... Maybe you want to hear more from this conversation. Uh, each and every week, we make extra segments that we make available to those who support the show, who believe in, in what we do and want to see it continue. Uh, and so we have that Patreon support community right there on OutsideTheWalls.com. In the top right-hand corner of the page, you'll see the link that says support the show hyphen Patreon. Click that link to learn more about how you can support the show and get extra content each and every week. But now, let's go ahead and turn our attention to our readings from Scripture and from church history. That's the sound of the Verbum Library launching up. Verbum helps you read Scripture in light of the tradition of the church. Uh, all of their, uh, all their, their various libraries are available at a discount this month. You can learn more about how you can benefit from Verbum by going to verbum.com. Our reading from Scripture today comes from today's reading, and wouldn't you know it, it is jam-packed with catechists. Here is our reading from the book of Acts. After staying in Antioch some time, Paul left and traveled in orderly sequence through the Galatian country and Phrygia, bringing strength to all the disciples. A Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, an eloquent speaker, arrived in Ephesus he was an authority on the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and with ardent spirit spoke and taught accurately about Jesus, although he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and they explained to him the way of God more accurately 
And when he wanted to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. After his arrival, he gave great assistance to those who had come to believe through grace. He vigorously refuted the Jews in public, establishing from the Scriptures that the Christ is Jesus. That reading comes from uh, from the, the book of Acts. And I want you to count the number of catechists that we have here in this passage. Uh, first of all, we have Paul, the apostle, the missionary disciple who's there in Antioch and stayed for some time and then, and then left and went on his way. Then we have the, the Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, eloquent speaker, uh, authority on the scriptures, who had been instructed in the way of the Lord. He had already been instructed. So he had encountered a catechist who, empowered by the Holy Spirit, had already lived out that great commission uh, to teach him, to teach Apollos all that Jesus had commanded. Uh, and so then he, as the recipient of that catechesis, began to proclaim boldly uh, in as much as he knew. Uh, so many people, they're like, I mean, I don't know that I could be a catechist because I don't know everything. This did not stop Apollos. And we see that the Holy Spirit was, was with him to the point that he even brought correction to him, which, of course, Apollos received graciously. So now we have the next set of catechists in the form of this husband and wife duo, Priscilla and Aquila, who pulled him aside and said, you're doing a good job. Keep it up. Let's form you a little bit more in the faith. And then he went on from there to a new place and catechized. So here we have this ministry of catechist showing up over and over and over again in this passage. And for us, we have to realize that we are both the recipients of catechesis and the recipients of uh, the, the ministry of catechist, but then we're also called to then live that out as well. We can't be content to receive the graces of God and to receive all of this benefit without then also recognizing our responsibility to give it to others. And that brings us to our reading from Church History, which today comes from the Second Vatican Council, from the uh, dogmatic constitution on the Church called Lumen Gentium. The mission, this is uh, from paragraph uh, number 4 and 12, the mission of the Holy Spirit in the Church. When the Son completed the work with which the Father had entrusted him on earth, the Holy Spirit was sent on the day of Pentecost to sanctify the church unceasingly and thus enable believers to have access to the Father through Christ in the one Spirit. He is the Spirit of life, the fountain of water welling up to give eternal life. Through him the Father gives life to men, dead because of sin, until he raises up their mortal bodies in Christ. The Spirit dwells in the church and in the hearts of the faithful as in a temple. He prays in them and bears witness in them to their adoption as sons. He leads the church into all truth and gives it unity in communion and in service. He endows it with different hierarchical and charismatic gifts, directs it by their means, and enriches it with his fruits. By the power of the gospel, he enables the church to grow young and perpetually renews it and leads it to complete union with its bridegroom. For the Spirit and the bride say to the Lord Jesus, Come. In this way, the church reveals itself as a people whose unity has its source 
in the unity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The whole company of the faithful who have an anointing by the Holy Spirit cannot err in faith. They manifest this distinctive characteristic of theirs in the supernatural instinct of faith, the sensus fide of the whole people when the bishops to the most ordinary layperson among the faithful they display a universal agreement on matters of faith and morals. This instinct of faith is awakened and kept in being by the Spirit of Truth. Through it, the people of God hold indefectibly to the faith once delivered to the saints, penetrate it more deeply by means of right judgment, and apply it more perfectly in their lives. They do all this under the guidance of the sacred teaching office— By faithful obedience to it, they receive not the word of men, but in truth, the word of God. Moreover, the Holy Spirit not only sanctifies and guides God's people by the sacraments and the ministries and enriches them with virtues, he also distributes special graces among the faithful of every state of life, assigning his gifts to each as he chooses. By means of these special gifts, he equips them and makes them eager for various activities and responsibilities that benefit the church in its renewal or its increase. In accordance with the text, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for a good purpose. These charisms, the simpler and more widespread, as well as the most outstanding, should be accepted with a sense of gratitude and consolation since in a very special way they answer and serve the needs of the church. That reading comes from Lumen Gentium, which is uh, the the dogmatic constitution on the church uh, from the Second Vatican Council. And here again we have this assurance that it is the Holy Spirit that gives us these gifts for the good of his church, and we are empowered by him. Uh, it's, I, I come back to this thing of, well, I can't be a catechist because I don't, I don't know enough, or I don't have the strength, or I, what if I say something wrong? And here, the, the, where the Second Vatican Council says we have this charism, as long as we are in union with the Church, we have this, this promise, the sense of the faithful, uh, that we can say with St. Teresa of Avila, that if I say anything contrary to the doctrine of the Holy Roman Catholic Church, may it be held certain that it is out of ignorance and not out of malice. Or that we can say with Thomas Merton, Lord, I have no idea where I'm going, but I trust that the desire to please you does in fact please you. Or we can say with Apollos that here I'm pronouncing what I know to be true, and I do so with a spirit of humility and docility as others might come and, and instruct me more fully in the church and more fully in the way of the Lord. But we shouldn't be worried that our efforts won't be enough because the Holy Spirit comes and takes those efforts that we put forward and he magnifies them by and empowers them by his presence in our lives. So go out, be a catechist in some way this year. Take up this call, take up this mission. Uh, That's all the time we have for today. Today's show was brought to you by Phil and Tina Parker and all of those who support the show through Patreon. Learn more at OutsideTheWalls.com. Click that Patreon link. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Peace.